for granted all the time, Lord. And I pray that your, your grace would just... I just thank you for abundant grace, Lord. And I pray that your spirit would just move through the word today, Lord God. I pray that you would minister to our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you to the chapel team. That's a wonderful uh, arrangement you prepared. And thank you for that spoken word, Ryan. And uh, one of the greatest... A great lie, one of the greatest lies about addiction is that you, uh, is that you have to keep it quiet <clears throat> and is that you can't turn to anyone, especially at a Christian community or especially at a church. The lie is that you can't let anyone know about it. Uh, but I would let you know that that is a lie from hell itself, actually. Um, as Christians, we are turned to turn to one another for help and support. And so if there is an addiction, if there is a struggle, if there is something that has taken control, know that you can go to the Brickley Center, Counseling Center, the, my office, Chaplain's Office, RDs, and we are here to help you and support you. And nobody gets in trouble. You don't get in trouble. We're here to help you and support you. So please know that uh, one way to find healing is turn to other brothers and sisters in Christian community. That's how God often wants to heal us. I know we'd love that moment where he just zaps us and you're healed and it's never a struggle, but more often than not. And I believe God can do that. But more often than not, there is healing in a journey with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, this is my last time speaking in chapel for the school year, and uh, you may remember um, that our theme for the year was, is one, and we get that from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and I'd like to read that for you this morning. And just uh, recap a little bit of the theme and why it was a focus not only for the spiritual development office, but also for student development, and uh, why some of the program was, was centered the way it was this year. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. Heavenly Father, your word has been spoken and uh, your anointing has already blessed us through song, through remembrance, through prayer, and we ask that you speak to us now in the power of your Holy, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Now may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I often want you to remember uh, any certain things that, uh, you know, the, the preacher of the day, the speaker of the day, whatever she or he may say, uh, the title of the message, something that will stay with you. And I know um, that sometimes this is challenging because you also are doing that all day in class. And then sometimes, and it's okay that sometimes you just need to come to chapel and just sit in the presence of God and not even think. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes that's okay. In fact, maybe more often than not, that's exactly what you need in the way the Lord wants to bless you, that you can just come and gather together and just hear the Word of God through song, through prayer. Maybe you don't even have the energy to pray. Maybe you don't even have the desire to sing because your day is so difficult that your brothers and sisters in Christ can say your prayers for you and can lift their hands in praise for you and can sing on your behalf. 
And there are other times where I hope that a word stays with you. And I, I was trying to think, how can, I, how can this verse, how can we, we help this verse? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. And how can I help that just be implanted in your minds? Because we want to talk about it today and we focused on it this year. Because no matter what Christian denomination or tradition you come from, we are, there is much more that unites us in Jesus Christ than there is that separates us. And unfortunately, we can very easily focus on that which separates us instead of focusing on what unites us. Because the fact of the matter is, we are all one. And we must not dismiss our culture. We must not dismiss our background. We must not dismiss our experiences in life. In fact, we have a responsibility to be faithful to our culture. We have a responsibility to be faithful to our experiences. We have a responsibility to be faithful and genuine and all of that. So as we gather together and live together as a Christian community, we can see and hear how God has worked in all of our lives in different ways. So how can this verse uh, stay with you? How can this one Lord, one faith, one baptism, how can it stay with you? Well, recently I heard a pastor, Reverend Eamon R. Miller, out of Swansboro Baptist Church in Richmond, Virginia. He quoted this verse uh, recently as he was sitting in the parking lot at Food Lion in Richmond, Virginia. He was there waiting for his wife, and he noticed an older gentleman uh, practicing nunchucks just in the middle of the parking lot. And he thought that was a little strange as he's just sitting there waiting for his wife, so he he picks up his, his cell phone and he begins to record this gentleman and offers one of the greatest commentaries I've ever heard in my life. He did it off the top of his head. Now, I appreciate a quick wit and a quick response, and he has it. And in the middle of this commentary, he quotes our verse for the year. So you may not remember when I preach it, but maybe hearing how Reverend Amon R. Miller spoke it as he watched a, a Kung Fu grandpa, as he called him, in the parking lot of Food Lion, you'll hear the verse and uh, recognize how I actually want to bring Reverend Miller into chapel after seeing this. It's so great. But uh, let's watch, and maybe this will help remember our our verse for for the year. Yeah, what y'all know about um, getting your Kung Fu nunchuck panda um, in the parking lot of the local food line? Get it, my man. He out here doing it. Yeah, that's right. I'm 58, 63 years old out here on the side of my pickup truck in food line, and I'll whoop a fool upside his head. I'm out here practicing, getting ready for Easter Sunday. Jesus going to rise up. I'm going to whoop the devil right out here in the parking lot. Pickup truck, radio playing, sunglasses, ain't no sun. It's cloudy, overcast, but I'm out here with my gloves and my nunchuck. One man. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, two nunchucks up in the air like Mary, you were pow behind the back. Bust your finger, that hurt. Uh-huh, yep, yep, shake it off, homie, shake it off, shake it off. Yep, toe that finger up. Yeah, buddy, time to call it quits. Look like the devil won this round, folks. I had to get back in the car, get me a Band-Aid, shake it off, shake it off. <laughs> So the title of my message this morning is One Lord, One Faith, One Baptism, Two Nunchucks. (laughs) And the sad thing is that's probably why you're going to remember it, that that's actually the title. But that is our theme, and the Apostle Paul was writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, a church that he founded. And and maybe you know that uh, the Apostle Paul once was, as he described himself, the worst of sinners. And the grace of God stormed into his life and he became this great apostle to advance God's kingdom and started churches all over the regions and one of those was in Ephesus. And so he's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus that he started and he's sitting in prison at the time. 
He's sitting in prison at the time for being a follower of of Jesus Christ and for proclaiming the message. And as he writes to them from prison, he talks about giving praise to God and all the blessings of Christ. And he's giving thanksgiving and prayer. We see throughout chapter 1 and we see in chapter 2, he talks about being alive in Christ. And and here he is sitting in prison being thankful and giving praise to God. He talks about how God is building his church, especially in the city of Ephesus, where Jew and Gentile are reconciled. Two distinct groups. And Jew and Gentile are reconciled and becoming followers of Christ. And he prays for Christ's power to rest upon them. And really the most important message he has for them, whether Jew or Gentile, or all the different cultures they're coming from in the backgrounds, he reminds them and he pleads with them, you must be united in Christ Jesus. You must be one. You must be one. It is a practical demand of living a Christian life that you must live united as one with Jesus Christ, focusing on what unites us, not what divides us. You must become one. Not setting aside your differences, but embracing them. And it is God that makes us one. One God and Father over all who is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And as I said early, I cannot. You help me knowing God more by being in your life and hearing your stories and hearing the background of your people or your cultures and what your nations have gone through, what your families have gone through and and the praises you give to God, but also the tears that you have shed. Hearing your stories and hearing how God works in your lives. I become a better disciple and follower of Christ by knowing you because through your life, God has done amazing things and I learn more about God by being in your life. And the same is true for all of us. So please never, ever dismiss your culture. Too many times I think this text has been preached where we're all supposed to be the same. We're all supposed to worship the same. We're all supposed to look the same. We're all supposed to worship God from our cultural context. And in our country, it's primarily usually a white cultural context. And and often this text has been preached like we must look the same and be the same. and, And that's the only way to worship Christ. But I would say on the authority of God's scripture, that's actually a lie. Because Paul is saying, we are one. We are one in Christ Jesus, and that which unites us. And if God truly is over all, and in all, and through all, so no matter what country you come from, no matter your family background, church background, denomination, Protestant, Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, whatever it is, God is there too. God is working in that church and in those families as he is in all the others. So if we truly want to be one, we must recognize that which which unites us and not focus on that which divides us. Paul is pleading with the church, be united, be one. If we truly are going to be the people of God, we must embrace, welcome, and love others, recognizing they have something to teach us and that God has called us to journey together. And I would like to suggest that, and and really um, stress the fact that that does not mean that there won't be important discussions to have. That doesn't mean there won't be important conversations of theological differences of why worship is one way in one context and why worship is uh, different in another. One of the greatest challenges uh, for me while being chaplain is when we bring in different speakers from different um, uh, theological backgrounds and from what your church has come from, whatever that may be, I'm going across the board here, or they're focusing on a specific topic. It's exciting when I hear people say how much that, that message meant to them and how much it really blessed them and how much it really challenged them. And at the same time hearing comments, boy, that message really troubled me. And I'm not really sure why you invited them to chapel. 
And what's challenging about that is because as I hear the praises, I sometimes, and this is my own weakness, my wife will tell you I'm trying to pray through and, and get stronger. I get nervous. I'm like, oh Lord, who's coming to complain? Someone's coming to complain. And it actually hasn't, it hasn't been that bad, but I see what's happening in your life when you say that. It's actually a good thing that you're wrestling with it. It's actually a good thing that you're, you're, you're being challenged by it. So I don't want to dismiss it in any way because you can walk out of a church service, whether it's this chapel or whether it's at another church or when we have a guest speaker or guest groups in, and you may walk out troubled by what you saw and you can give praise to God for that. Because if you walk out of a church sanctuary that's preaching a Christian message that is in a different context than what you're used to, if the worship experience is different than what you're used to, or if they're challenging you with a Christian message that you haven't heard before, and you walk out frustrated and troubled and concerned, if that draws you to seek God more, then I say give God praise for the fact that you're frustrated and troubled. It's not always about walking out being glad and saying amen and and being thankful that the message is exactly 100% what you believe, but we should give God praise for that. But we also give God praise. You know, I don't know, I, I don't know, that, that Lisa Sharon Harper from Sojourners, I don't know, she was talking about creation care. I never heard about creation care. You know, it, it really troubled and she shook some of you up. But I will tell you that I believe her message was from God. And if it causes you to walk out and think, what does it mean to be a Christian and care for God's creation? If it has challenged you in that way, then we give God praise for that. Some of you are uncomfortable in different worship experiences, and I understand that. Sometimes I am as well. I shared with you last semester when uh, I think it was Zenzo that said, uh, uh, let's give a jump praise. I had never given a jump raise before. And I know, I know, especially this group up in here that can see me, I know they're looking right at me and saying, I wonder if the chaplain's going to give a jump praise. <laughs> and then I know my wife is thinking, they're looking at me. Now I have to give a jump praise as well. We've never given jump praises. But I gave a jump praise. Uh, and I jump praise better than my wife. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But if you think of the blessings of God in your life, isn't there sometimes, I mean, if you really become a grateful people, aren't there sometimes where even your body needs to react in praise to God? Whether your hands are lifted up, and I'm, I'm usually more one that just kind of turns my hands open to receive what the Lord may have, and, and that's kind of more my nature. But from time to time, I'll But even God's great blessings are so great that we couldn't even have the words to articulate that sometimes our body responds. And I appreciate the traditions and cultures that teach us that. Ah, that is an important message. Some of you go crazy. We had a chapel speaker a couple of years ago that concluded the the chapel in silence. Uh, Five minutes of silent prayer just sitting there. Some of you thought you were going to (laughs) die. Silence for five minutes. To just sit in the presence of God. And not even to pray, to just sit in the presence of God. Oh, a beautiful act of worship. A beautiful act of worship. There's much more that unites us than there is that separates us. But we allow these discomforts that we have, we focus on them. And we allow them to separate us instead of remembering that it is Christ that unites us. One God, one Father who is over all and in all and through all. The Apostle Paul in verse 2 says, how do we do this? How do we keep this unity? With, he, he tells us, with all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love. With all humility, gentleness, and with patience, bearing with one another in love. One of my first messages actually focused on, uh, on humility. First time I ever preached in a church focused on humility, uh, which seems kind of arrogant, actually, if you think about it, uh, that it was my first message, and I felt like I had the authority to preach on humility. Uh, but I've come to learn over the last, since I preached that message, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, 
to really truly be humble, we must first learn to be grateful. Because if we truly become a grateful people, if we truly recognize that, if we truly recognize that all that we have has come from God, there is no place for pride in our hearts and lives. For what do we have that has not been given to us? Some of you, as you say, will earn your college degree, and that's true. God has entrusted with you the opportunity to earn a college degree, and you should be faithful in that, and I think in many ways you can be proud that you've been faithful in that, and on graduation day here in a few weeks for the seniors, you can celebrate with family, and they're going to give praise to you as they should, but remember that I think it's less than 2% of the world's population, I quoted it last year in baccalaureate, if I remember correctly, it's less than 2% of the world's population even has an opportunity to earn a college degree. What do you have that has not been given to you? So when we learn to become a grateful people, that is how we become humble. And the humility that Paul calls us to, who am I to say how you should be worshiping? Who am I to say you're doing it wrong? But have the humility to recognize that God is over all and in all and through all. Again, recognizing that this unity does require some challenging conversations, but in the right context. I can only have difficult and challenging conversations of theological differences, really, I have found with only those that I am good friends with, that come from different traditions. Those are the productive conversations I have found, where there is no doubt that there is a love there, there is a relationship there, that we can disagree on some important issues and really have those conversations. And those conversations are important. And even yesterday I challenged, I sent out a, a blog to the summer men teams and the chapel team saying, you're going to get a pop quiz from the chaplain next time he sees you read this blog and it talks about the importance of leading in corporate worship and things to keep in mind. It's going, and I sent it to challenge them. And we must continually be growing. We must continually be challenging ourselves and reflecting on our own theological tradition, reflecting on our own theological practices. I'm not calling you to say, let's all just agree on everything and get along. That's not what I'm calling you to. What I am calling you to is to remember that we are united in Christ Jesus. And I think we often forget that. So we focus on what unites us, not what separates us. And so I have sometimes tough theological conversations, and those that challenge me in my own preaching or my own theology, I I know when there are those who are critics and are just looking to tear me down, and when I know there are those that love me and have a purpose and a plan and say, listen, I want to help you here. Those relationships need to be in place, and that's why we must be one. So those relationships are intact, and we truly can learn from one another. If you have some thoughts or a critical comment about another theological tradition or about the practices of another Christian group or Christian people or or the way someone worships in your church, can I plead with you right now, don't post it on Facebook. Don't post it on Twitter. First, follow the biblical mandate to go to your brother and sister if you have a question or if you have a concern. But you cannot enter into healthy, constructive dialogue between two people that love one another through Facebook posts or 130 characters on Twitter. Some conversations are met only within relationship. Focus on what unites us, not what separates us. He calls us to be gentle. Consider the needs of others first. As I preached the last time I spoke, we do not run the race set before us that God has set before us. We do not run this race for ourselves. We run it for others. And with a gentleness and a kindness and a patience, being willing to journey with our brothers and sisters and run this race on their behalf, making sacrifices, committing to praying for them, making sacrifices, sometimes financially, to care for the needs of others. Humility, gentleness, and patience. This is what unites us. We remain as one.
being thankful and grateful so that we might have the humility of Christ, following the example of the gentleness and patience of Christ and caring for others, keeping the unity of the Spirit. You see, we really do need one another. Over the last uh, several weeks, we've heard stories of people on their spiritual journey. And one of the reasons we bring in different people, and and I want to hear different stories, is so you can hear what God has done in their life and through their life. But not always the, everything worked out great. I don't know if you've noticed, some of our chapel speakers, the stories didn't work out the way they had hoped and planned. I am still challenged in in wrestling over uh, Larry Kim's story in the fall where... They knew just a few weeks into the, a few months into the pregnancy, the baby would not live more than a few hours, and they chose to, to go to full term, and the baby lived for four days. And, you know, that is not what they were praying for. They were praying that the, for a miracle, and that didn't happen. But because he was willing to share his story with us, and because of his love for you, and to be so vulnerable and share that painful experience, he gives this testimony that God is with him in the pain, with him in the sorrow. Think of what some of your friends, your fellow students have gone through this semester, even faculty and staff and administrators, losing loved ones. Disease has entered the family. Brokenness and pain. There's been a lot of hurt along the way. Think of what we remember today in the Rwanda genocide and the pain and the sorrow there and what our brothers and sisters in Christ have been through there. Think of the stories. when we think of everything that we are going through and what God calls us to do to run this race for others, and we just take a moment and pause and look at the needs around us, we must be united. We must be united because others need us. I'm not going to to play the YouTube clip of uh, Sweet Brown, but her statement is a good one when she says, nobody has time for that. I know it's ain't nobody got time for that, but we are in a college setting. I'm just trying to. (laughs) The church of Jesus Christ has no time for division. We have no time for it. The needs are too great. The pain is too difficult for many. We must journey with others and not allow things to divide us. We do not have time for that. We must be united in Christ Jesus. And I plead, obviously, with the seniors, but with all of us, before we go our separate ways here in a few weeks, that especially as the seniors go out, and I, I've made this challenge every year to, to be committed to a local church and love a local church. In fact, I always issue this challenge and want to do it now. I would encourage you, instead of finding a job and then finding a church, I'd like to encourage you to find a church and then find a job. To really make sacrificial commitments to the body of Christ. But even more than that, I want your spirit to be one as you go out to recognize that the body of Christ is advancing the kingdom of God. And there is no time for division. There is no time for brokenness. We must not focus on what divides us. Let us focus on what unites us and truly be one. You remember the stories, I hope. One I shared at the beginning when I preached on uh, fear not and not being afraid. And I share with you how a dear friend of mine from college, her son... um, has been on dialysis for the last four or five years, and um, they've been waiting for a kidney, and they had the kidney transplant the day after Christmas. And you may remember in the message I spoke in January that, um, uh, that the disease was still in his body, and they were concerned that it was attacking the new kidney. 
And I just want to give you an update on that. And uh, we have a video from Thomas. You'll hear his mother speaking. She just did it uh, by phone. So I'll tell you what Thomas is saying. You can't hear him as clearly, but if we could play, give an update on how Thomas is doing. Hi, ENC. This is my son, Thomas Jones. You've been praying for him, and we are so very thankful. Thomas, you got anything to say? Thank you for the prayers. Thank you for the prayers. They've been helping a lot. They've been helping a lot. Um, I had my biopsy on my new kidney. I had my biopsy. And what did it show? There was... No disease inside of it. Right. No disease. And no signs of rejection or anything like that, right? It's an answer to prayer. What do you have to do, though, that's not so fun? Drink four bottles of water a day. About five bottles. You're, you're supposed to drink about 70 ounces a day. What does it make you feel like? Um, makes me want to throw up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's better than dialysis, right? Yes, ma'am. What, are you allowed, what can you do now that you're not on dialysis? Play soccer, run, play basketball. Yep. Are you allowed to play football? No, ma'am. Why? Because they don't want to damage the new kidney. That's right. That is right. How old are you? Ten. Tell Mr. Corey that you're, that you're not seven, that you're ten. <laughs> Mr. Corey, I'm not seven, I'm ten. <laughs> Who's your favorite baseball team? The rest. New York Yankees. <laughs> well, we just want to thank you guys for all your prayers, and every single one of them has been heard. The Lord has just been doing miraculous things in Thomas's life, and we thank you. Um, God bless each and every one of you. And one, yes, we give God praise. And um, uh, just, just one more update, and then I'll, I'll conclude with a prayer and dismiss you. One more update from Andrea Sautel. She spoke uh, just a few weeks ago and talked about how her and her husband uh, could not have children of their own, and that process and that journey and the pain and the waiting, and that over two years ago, they began the process of trying to adopt. Um, and so we have an update from her as well. ENC community, I'm not sure if you remember me, but I was on campus a couple weeks ago and had the opportunity to share uh, my husband and my adoption journey. And uh, we wanted to let you know that Easter weekend, after two years of waiting to get a phone call, we received a referral for a four-month-old boy. He lives right outside of Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. Uh, and we are so excited. In the next few months, we'll be traveling over there to meet him for the first time. He is crazy cute. Uh, he is the most adorable thing you'll ever see. And we are just over the moon excited just about what God's doing and the way that he's answered our prayers. Um, we wanted to thank you for allowing us to share our story with you. And um, just for those of you who have been praying for us, uh, we thank you for that. Um, we hope that you just remember how much God cares about you and how he is with us in the waiting. And uh, celebrating on the other side is awesome. So we're so thankful for that. Wanted to share that with you, and we hope you guys are having a great morning. Um, thanks again just for your encouragement and for being a part of our journey. And we give God praise. Yeah. And we give God praise that he invited us to be part of their journey in a small way. 
he invited us to be a part of their journey of healing by praying for them or remembering them or asking them to share. So God invited you to be a part of that journey. And I understand that not every child is always healed. I understand that. And I understand there are a lot of questions when things happen in countries like Rwanda when a million lives are lost in a three-month period. I understand that. But whether it is our time of giving God praise for healing and health, or whether it is us in times of questioning and wondering, God, where are you in the midst of this? And all of that, we must be united as one. We really do need one another. And as Paul pleads with us, be united in Jesus Christ. Because the fact of the matter is, the hope for Thomas was not in the six foot five, 40 year old, 48 year old guy who gave him a kidney. And he has to drink 70 ounces of water because the guy was six foot five. His kidney was a little bigger than Thomas's. That's why he has to drink so much water. His hope was not in that. His hope was always in Jesus Christ. The hope for Andrea and her husband of becoming parents someday was, was never in an adoption agency or having a child of their own. Their hope was always in Jesus Christ. And in the same for our pain and our sorrow and our waiting. Our hope is never in ourselves. It is always in Christ Jesus. It is He who unites us. So let us be one together to bring the church and the body together as one, focusing on what unites us and not what divides us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we go our separate ways into this beautiful spring season that we thought would never come, may we truly be a grateful people for all that you've done for us. For what do we have that has not been given to us? May we be patient, bearing with one another in love. And may we hear the stories and the testimonies and the questions and the pain in the lives of others in recognizing that it's through others we get to know you more. Make us one, we pray. We pray these things now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said, Amen and Amen.